morning and welcome. Glad that you're here. And um, I, I didn't have really good sermon illustration this week because the word speaks for itself. But Bowen invited me to come up and watch his team that he coaches in football. He's one of the coaches, assistant coaches up at the Ridge Spring Mineta. And they played a team I've never heard of before. I just had three letters, and I don't know their name, HKT or something like that. And if you know the team, uh, you would know the team. But they were pathetic. And uh, so Bowen's team, uh, the Bridge Spring Mineta is a pretty good team. And I was like, I watched the other team. I've never seen a team walk from the sideline to get on the, and I'm a big football fan, and get to the ball and get called delay of game because they walked to the ball. They were so out of shape. And they were tired, too, but it, that, this was the first half. They literally walked from the sideline to the ball and got a delay of game. If any of you know, they had a, a long time in there, even the time between downs, to get to the ball. But by the time the center kind of got himself situated, and the whole team got down, and he, when, he, when he went over the ball, they called delay of game. You'll know that if you watch football. It was pathetic. It was absolutely a show of, you guys are dressed like football players, you're on a field, a football field, but you have no care of the game. You don't care. You're not trying. You've given up. And they lost 62 to nothing, if that tells you anything. And that, and that was backup teams of the backup teams coming in for Ridge Spring. It was, it was absolutely a pathetic showing of, of just humankind, of going out and why did you even show up? Get on the bus and go home. It was a pathetic showing. And the other team, Ridge Spring, was pretty good. They, they, they had all their cylinders firing, if you will, that night. But I said, there's a perfect illustration. And you know who their illustration, who they are a picture of? The losing team? Look around, you and me. As it comes to related to the scripture and taking in the harvest of actually working and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are getting to the point that we're not even walking out to the field to play the game because... Lord, I'm just too busy. You've blessed me way too much. You've given me too much money. You've given me too nice of a house. You've given me too nice of cars. You've given me a nice family. I just don't have time for you, Lord. Delay of game. And imagine if God called delay of game on you. If you were the one actually in the game, and it's your responsibility to lead others to Christ, you're going to get a penalty flag, or you're going to score a touchdown as it relates to football. I want you to think about that as we look at this meat series. We're in this meat series, Jesus, and the title of today's sermon is Focus and Finish the Work. There's work to be done. That song Kristen sang, I didn't know they were singing it until this morning. That was coming out when we got here 12 and a half years ago, and it was a song that was kind of our focus verse for the city of Aiken. We have work to do in the city, and we took it on as a church and as a personal responsibility of myself and our family to do the work of the kingdom of God here in Aiken, South Carolina, because we felt that we were called to this city. Now, I hope that you, if you live in this city for any long period of time, that you feel called to this city or to this county or to this town because there's work to do. There's a harvest field here that is white to harvest. I mean, it's ready to be picked. And the Lord Jesus Christ is still telling us, as he told his disciples, hey, pray for laborers because they are few. And sometimes we can be like that football team who just walks out to the ball, who doesn't really care, who just gives up. And they, what happens when you start giving up? The blame game starts. And they started pointing at the receivers, were pointing at the linemen, and the linemen were pointing back at the quarterback, and the quarterback's pointing out to everyone else. And everyone's trying to push the blame somewhere else. And it happens in the church today. If we can divert our attention away from the commands of God, we can fight each other in the church. 
And then we can walk away and say, what a good day to be in the house of the Lord. It happens over and over in church after church after church. Let me get my say. So as long as I get my say, I don't care what happens. Or let me get my way, and then I'm really pleased. But we should be seeking the way of God. And today, as we look at the scripture, we're still leaving the woman at the well. And Kristen called her the lady at the well. She was not a lady. Uh, she was a woman. Uh, we know because uh, she had five husbands, and the woman she was—I mean, the man he was, she was living with was not her husband. So she had had five husbands and this guy. Whom else does she have? We don't know. But she became a lady of the Lord. You'll see when she believes, and we'll get into the word, and we're going to leave trail off. And her story, this is three weeks of Jesus being the center of our message, but the woman at the well being spoken about because there's so much more. And there is more than we can even preach in several months. But let's get into, if you would, John chapter 4, verse 27 through 42. We won't get all those verses, and we do have some other scriptures. But I want you to think about focus and finish the work. Here's some realities I gave you so we could actually, as we begin, if you haven't been with us, the backstory: Jesus, the Messiah, had come and his glory had been revealed. He revealed his glory, of course, to the, the, in, at the, uh, at the, the marriage, the, the banquet. He turned water into wine and, and he revealed. He says, my time hasn't come, but obviously Mary said, just do what he says to do. And he revealed a little bit of his glory and, of course, he starts his miracle journey. Things are happening. People are believing his message. People are being baptized. The Bible even says, as I put in your notes, that Jesus' disciples are baptizing more people than John baptized. John the Baptist and all the prophets before him had prepared the way. Which way? Hold your place before we read any of this scripture, because we read it before. Unless you knew it was, and go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I didn't give this to Melissa so it wouldn't be up on the screen. I want you to actually see it for yourself in your, in your Bible. Because I want you to make a couple of notes if you take notes in your Bible. So go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. And let's go there. When you're there, say amen. So here's the pages turning, which is a beautiful sound in the church, isn't it? Turn there for yourself because God probably, no, God does have something to say to you personally. To every individual with the name in this building today and everyone watching by Facebook and by YouTube, God has something to say to you personally. If you would, we look at 11.6, it says simply this, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now the Bible's clear, there's none who seek after God, no, not one, until he seeks you first. He brings you to himself, and when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a daily looking after, it's a daily seeking, trying to come after God. And then the Bible gives us, we call it the hall of faith, but it gives us these, these people, if you will. We've read about them in story time, at church, and Sunday school, and other times. But verse 7, by faith, Noah. Does everybody know that name? If you go back to verse 4, by faith, Abel. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah. By verse 17, Abraham's again, by faith, Abraham. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph. Verse 23, by faith, Moses. Do we know those people from time past? Have we read the Bible? Do you know those, if you would, heroes of the faith? We call them those things, and some people have named churches after them today. There's a St. Joseph, and, and there's St. Paul and Peter to go down this whole list, and we call them saints today because we revere them as men of God who went before us and women of God who went before us. We could go to verse 30, we'll even jump over there. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Who was the leader of that? That was Joshua. 
verse 31, by, the faith, by faith the, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. If you don't know the story, go read the book of Joshua. And what more shall I say for the time will fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and of the prophets. Verse 33, who through faith subdued the kingdoms and worked righteousness. They obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. Verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. These men and women that went before us, and, and as Jesus even talks about the laborers, the workers who prepared the field, they put the seed in the ground, and he's telling his disciples, and you have it made easy. We have it made easy today because someone else did all the work. We know the Lord did the work, but it took his men and his women through the centuries, through generation after generation, to do the hard work. If you've ever planted a garden, you understand this. What do you think is harder, tilling the land Bending over and planting seeds or pulling a tomato off a vine? Which is easier? If you've never done a garden, you, you wouldn't know the answer if you've never planted a garden. It's, it's, it's a lot of work to plow and till and prepare the soil properly to get it ready for the seed and then to plant the seed. And then you've got to be diligent where you put the seed. If you just scatter it everywhere, what happens? It will grow together and choke itself out if you're not careful. It takes a lot of work to prepare a garden and plant to sow the seed, if you will. It takes work, yes, to bring in the harvest, but it's not as hard. It's easier to pick tomatoes and peppers. And now I hate picking beans. I won't do that to save my life. And I told you all the story when I was little. We, I think I was 25 years old when I finally told my dad what happened. He said, I never, he was sitting around the dinner table. We're all talking about times past. He said, I never could figure out what was wrong with those green beans. They always got the blight or something. We put seven dust out. And our garden was on a hillside, rocky hillside. We had to get on our hands and knees and put, pick green beans and put them in a paper bag. And you had to stay on your knees out going out and turn those. Anybody ever know what I'm talking about picking green beans? It's miserable. That's why I don't like green beans today. And what I would do, because I was a little hyperactive kid, I couldn't stay steady on those green beans. They would stress me out. And I'd pick them. I'd get some mad, pick them about this far. And then I would grab a whole batch of vines and just pull them all out of the ground shake the dirt off, put them back on top of the ground, and cover them with rocks. And I do that about every five to six feet. And Dad could never figure out why the beans were dying all the way out the row, and all the rows started dying in different places. We put poison out, we put, uh, they tried to bug control, the everything, and when I was 25, I said, I need to confess to you, I need to tell you something. And he's like, what? And uh, I told him, and he said, I should whip your behind right now. 25 years old, so I killed the beans, and I still, today, I'll plant green beans, I'll prepare the garden, I'll plant them, but I won't pick a one. I can't stand picking beans, and I don't like eating them either, just for the record. But that was, I think that's traumatic in my brain, is what, that, that's the reason, picking those, all those beans those years. 
bringing in the harvest is harder than sowing the seed. Even though it takes, um, it takes toil, it's easier, it takes toil to, to, to prepare and plant, to sow. It does take some work to harvest, but harvest is easier. I want you to remember that when we get into what Jesus actually says. Verse 27 of chapter 4. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek her? Why are you talking with her? And I believe, this is my personal opinion, as, as Krista mentioned, I believe they passed her, and I believe they're a little embarrassed that he's talking to her, and they didn't speak to her at all. I, I still think there's a little bit of embarrassment here, but it doesn't say that in Scripture. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot, which is unusual. You don't leave your water pot at the well. Correct? Unless you take what with you? Water, or have another way of taking it. She left her water pot, which is empty, and she went away into the city and said to the men, Hey, come and see who told me all things that I have ever did. And then a, a rabbi who's a Christian, a Messianic rabbi, says, This is not a question in the original text. Could this be the Christ? He infers that she said, This is the Christ, the Messiah. Then they went out to the, out of the city to, and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, or teacher, eat. Remember, he was tired from his journey, if you, had, if you weren't here last week. But he said to them, I have food to eat, of which you know, do not know of. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. And I believe what's happening at this point, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I believe all those people out of Samaria are coming to Jacob's well. They're coming, they're walking out of the city. All those men and women and children, I'm sure they're coming to gawk and see. The Messiah's here in our town, in part of our town, because they believed that the Messiah was coming. I believe the city's coming out, and I believe Jesus is pointing to those city of all those people coming. Probably a dust storm that's coming across the desert during the afternoon, rush hour, if you will. And he said, look, the fields are white to harvest. Otherwise, this has no meaning. He wouldn't just point to the dirt of the desert. Jesus didn't come to say when he said for God to love the world. He's not talking about the planet, even though he does care about this place he created. He's talking about you and me. He's talking about lost people here. He's talking about people who actually have a heart and a soul. People who have a name. If you have a name, you have a soul. If you have a soul, listen, you have a heart, you're going to live somewhere forever. Amen? We were built to live forever. You say, well, what about my aunt so-and-so or uncle so-and-so? If they're Christians, they're living forever. If they went to heaven, they, they live forever. Forever. You'll see them again. If they're in hell, guess what? They'll live forever in torment. These bodies were made to live forever. Now, this physical body will stop, but we know we're getting a resurrected body when the Lord comes and when it's time. Jesus tells them, listen, do you not say in four months? Still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor." Then many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. And when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And they stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. 
So look at the notes again. We'll go back and forth a little ping pong. If you saw the realities there, I said Jesus the Messiah had come and his glory had been revealed. John the Baptist and all the prophets before him had prepared the way. Hebrews tells us about those men and those women. Multitudes of people came to John and confessed their sins. They're preparing their hearts to be ready to be saved. They're coming confessing, saying, you're preaching a message of repentance. And that's what we preach today. You must be born again. Turn from your sins. Repent of your sins. Turn away from the way you're thinking, the way that your mind is focused today. I'm living for me and no one else. I'm living for myself and get what I can get out of this life because this life is short. James says this life is like a vapor. It's, it's here and then it's over. And the Bible's clear we're going to give an account for everything that we say and do in this life. The Bible's clear that we're to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. The Bible's clear that God has preordained work for us to do. We have something to do for the kingdom of God. Whatever you do with your hands, if you're retired, if you work with your hands, you work with your brain and you type or whatever you do, you have a responsibility first and foremost to work for the king. As you do your labor, you work for the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.23, all things as unto him. When you serve, you serve others in the name of Jesus. I don't care what your job is or what do you say, my job is just so-and-so. I fill in the blank. Whatever so-and-so is, do it as unto the Lord. It becomes a kingdom job. It's equal to any other job in the kingdom. Do you understand? When you're doing it for the king, it's king's work. And the kingdom is actually lifted up. The king is lifted up. Jesus' disciples baptized more than John's disciples. The, the Bible tells us that. We read that a week or two ago. Baptisms took place frequently. So the disciples understood that there's a field of white harvest. They're baptizing as Jesus is preaching. They're baptizing people, as we saw earlier. John was baptizing. John's disciples said, listen, John, Jesus' guys are baptizing more than we are. Everybody's going to them now. It's like the new uh, men Will read, uh, rode through Saluda. It used to be Fred's. And now it's a Dollar General. Isn't there a Dollar General in every corner? Dollar General's taken over. They took over Fred's. If you ever go to Salute, I was shocked to see the blue letters are gone, and now it's a yellow sign out front. They're taking over. That's kind of what these guys were thinking. Hey, these guys, they're doing more than we're doing. There was a bit of jealousy. And then John says, he must increase, I must decrease. This was the plan of God all along. If you look at this, Jews or Judeans now believed in Christ. This is remarkable. Samaritans, remember these two didn't like each other because they had race issues between each other, right? They said, even though they were brothers. Samaritans believed in Christ. And finally, God had been and still is doing a good work in all of these cities. Everywhere Jesus went, what did he do? He preached the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. How can the kingdom be at hand? Because the king was there. Wherever the king is, there is the kingdom. Now, also, some of this message is future kingdom. I believe there's a millennial kingdom that the Bible teaches is coming, an actual thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. That's why I know that tomorrow's coming. I believe there's still seven years of tribulation that's going to come. And after the tribulation, I believe there's a thousand-year reign of Christ here on earth. If you read the Word of God, there's still a thousand and seven years left after today. If you read the Word of God, and that, that, as I'm my understanding of the Word of God. So this is not the end. If anyone tells you tomorrow's the end, it's coming to a doomsday end, it's not coming to an end. We still got at least 1,007 left, right? And then all of eternity after that. Those of us that are believers can't wait to actually live in the kingdom proper. We'll go to your notes. The woman hurried back to her village to persuade her people to come and meet Jesus. That's what we should be doing each day is persuading, convincing people, listen, come meet this Jesus. I don't want to hear any of that religious stuff. I've heard it before. 
Well, we've all heard religious talk, haven't we? And we always heard now in our culture, who's right? How do you know that you're right? That was a question even I asked myself. How do we know that we're right? Southern Baptists, how do we even know that we're right? Did you guys start, that's the way it always starts, didn't Southern Baptists start over slavery? No, it started over Jesus Christ. That's how we became Christians. And then the church divided over a lot of different things. It has throughout all of history. We're right, we're right. And then today, aren't you glad that we got it right, that we, at least we have no, that the Lord Jesus Christ, all men were created equal. And the Lord Jesus Christ brings about that equality for all of us today. Under the cross, we're the same. No matter how rich or how poor we are, no matter the color of our skin, we know that Adam and Eve is our grandpa and grandma. Amen? We know that we're equal under the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only when we become educated and not ignorant that we understand that we're one. And then when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, we're even closer together than we've ever been before because our souls are united under the banner of Christ. Paul tells us in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, you are one. You are one. Not, you're not number one. Don't get that mistake because you don't walk around and say, I'm number one. That's where pride sits in. You are one in Christ. You're the bride of Christ, soon to be. You're the body of Christ. You're the faith family. You're the church of Christ. That's who we are. We're one in Christ. That's why it should be able, if we go down the street, to be able to open the door, go sit down and say, amen, amen. Even if there's a different denomination, if they're reading out of the word of God, if they're preaching from the very word of God, we could say, amen, I believe that to be true. If they're telling stories and stories that bring on tradition, just traditions of their church, there's no possible way for me to amen that. If it's against scripture, I was reading last night, even as we were searching White the Harvest, I was just reading other articles of what White the Harvest means. And, of course, it means the grain, the fruit of the grain is ready to be picked. It's right there. It's that season. Many of you have been praying for Wendy's brother. He was in a, a bad farming accident. He got his legs pretty torn, torn up uh, with the, the um, big uh, machine and the, uh, the, they caught his pants leg and just mangled his legs. And he was traumatized, really bad trauma. And... He was through therapy walking this week in therapy. It's amazing at what God's done, how God's brought him back. And a little hard-headedness. He's a Wakefield, so he's hard-headed too. So um, when this, where Wendy gets a little hurts from the family tree. Uh, but he's walking. He's up walking and, and with a little bit of assistance, but he's getting around and moving around. Something that you would say, that's impossible. But one thing when he was down, he's like, man, we got to get some people. While he's even sick on the hospital bed, we got to get some people to help us bring in the harvest. It's time to bring it in. If we leave it on the field, it's going to die. It's going to rot and decay. We have to get people to, to get the harvest in. I said, we can help you any way we can. We got men in our church. Several men volunteered to go down and help bring in the, the harvest if we could. And there was enough people who actually in the farming community that came around and joined in that the harvest might be brought in, that the crops would not go bad. It was amazing. It was a very much a picture, a visual picture of what we're to be about here today in the Word of God, in the kingdom of God. The woman hurried back to her village to persuade her people to come meet Jesus. She was focused on her new spiritual condition, even without water. Why did she go to the well? Some people said because she's an outcast, probably so. But she went to the well mainly because she was thirsty. Isn't that why you go to the sink to get water or to get a bottle of water? Why do you drink water? Why do you have a bottle of water? Usually it's because you're thirsty. You want to hydrate. Well, that's what she wanted. She wanted water. But she runs back to her village to tell the people about Jesus, about the Messiah. The disciples, they urged Jesus. If you look at the scripture right here, they look and see. In the meantime, verse 31, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. They knew he was exhausted. They knew he had traveled a long way. He'd been going through hills and valleys, hills and valleys. And now he's resting at Jacob's well. They went into the Samaritan village to buy food. 
They've come out of the village. Did they say anything inappropriate in the village? They could have. We don't know. But we know Samaritans hated Jews and Jews hated Samaritans. But they had to go by because that was the village they were in. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. What kind of food is that? They were thinking the physical here and now food. They're like, somebody brought him a lunch. He had a Lunchable stuck under Jacob's well somewhere. There was something that he actually had. He got this food. They were thinking very physical. They were not thinking spiritual. Many of us in the church today are thinking very physical. I can do that. Let me, how much is that going to cost? Like, here's some money. Let me pay for that. Oh, I can go do that. And I, and I can do that. Well, we want you to actually come out and listen, it's your turn to share the gospel. Oh, I can't do that. We can do a lot of the physical things, and they're good. We need all the physical things, but we have to get to the spiritual by and by. Amen? Eventually, you've got to get to the place that you mature, that you can share your faith. You can articulate your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You take the Word of God and say, the Word of God says. You listen to Billy Graham most of the time when he preaches. He'll quote scripture every once in a while, but most of the time he'll say, the Word of God says. And he'll just reference the Word of God. And if you go back to the Billy Graham Library, has anyone been to the Billy Graham Library, by the way? Raise your hand if you've been to the library. It's an incredible place to go. It's free. And there's a video that runs. There's all kind of cool stuff in there. There's a talking cow, not real. But there's a loop of him, and he says, I preach a simple gospel that is so complex. And they say, well, who's the greatest theologian you've ever met? Thinking of all the people he's ever met in his life. He said, the greatest theologian I know is my wife, Ruth. He said, she's much more in-depth in the scriptures than I am. He gave credit to his wife. Isn't that amazing? You should see it. It's, it's on a loop up there over and over. I think maybe Ruth set that up before she passed, that that would be over and over, said over and over again. I don't know. The disciples urged Jesus to eat physical food. Their focus was on the here and now. So many of us are tied to the here and now. This here and now is not going to last. Amen? I've been here for 12 and a half years. Some of you that are 12, you were not even born when I got here. So think of if you were here, the whole, who's been here the whole time I've been here? We've raised a church, right? We've, we've grown a lot of other churches in the area. There's a joke, there's a story within the story of that one, right? But for 12 and a half years, how old were you when I met you, when we first came here? 12 and a half years ago, I remember, if you read McKenzie's diary, Dad has destroyed my life. I come from Dorman High School and everything's going great. She's on all the, all the pro, all the all smart, all, all all winning teams, all state teams, and they win state titles when she leaves, and she's depressed, and come to South Lincoln High School, and she's like, Dad, you've ruined my life. She's writing in her, I've read in her journal where she's shown it to me when we moved. My life is over, right? And she recovered, I think. Bowen, he, Bowen's Bowen. He didn't care. He, just, he was whatever. And then we come in, and Alex, of course, we, we fell off and sent him off to college. We think about how God picked us up and moved us. It was not good to move. We had the best house we've ever had. We had the best salary we've ever had. We had the best cars. We had the best schools. We had everything that was great in our life. And we're like, this is, we're going to retire here. This is, this is awesome. And we loved it. We loved the church. Yet God said, you're going to move to Aiken because i got a plan and a purpose for you there. And we're like, Lord, are you sure Aiken, South Carolina? We just moved from there seven years ago. We don't want to move back. I didn't want to move back. Wendy's from here. I'm not from here. And are we sure? And the Lord confirmed it. Obviously, we were coming. And as we came to the church, if you were here, we had, there was a lot of turmoil when I first got here. It was a, it was a, it was a lot of uh, roller coasters. Let's leave it at that. Uh, this wasn't Six Flags, but there was a lot of ups and downs, if you know what I mean. 
And, but God, God had a plan and a purpose for this church. God had a plan and a purpose for our family. And when we sing the God of the city, he still has a plan and a purpose for this city. And you are part of the plan. You have been predestined to do the work that he's got for you to do if your address is somewhere in Aiken Ridge Spring, New Ellington, or in the surrounding area. You have a purpose and a plan to be here to do the will of God. And if you're visiting with us, or you're watching by television or by computer, you have a plan wherever your zip code is. Whatever your zip code is, that's where your assignment is for here and now. Yes, we'll go to the world, but we've got to start right here in our neighborhood. I want you to see this. Listen, Jesus said his food was to do the will of God, the Father, and completely finish his passionate work. To know and do the will of God. We've done experience with God here. It is his responsibility to do the will of God. And we said the will of God, when I used to hear preachers preach the will of God, I was like, what is the will of God? It sounds like it's this big overarching rainbow that I'm never going to achieve because I'd hear preachers preach, you must do the will of God. The will of God, the will of God. And I'm like, man, the will of God is huge, but what is it? You ever been there? We talked about this in prayer time. What is the will of God? It seems like it's this mystery that everybody knows but me. And we found out the will of God is that all men would be saved. He says it in Scripture. That even though some men choose to reject God. Is it the will of God that we treat others with loving kindness? And you go down the list. Is it the will of God that we share the gospel with other people? Is it the will of God that we follow through a believer's baptism after salvation? Is it the will of God that we treat others as we want to be treated? Is it the will of God that we don't steal? Is it the will of God that we don't cheat on our marriages? Is it, you go down the list, go down the list. The will of God is huge and large, but the will of God is not just one thing. The will of God is the nature of God. That's how we're supposed to live. If God commanded us to do it, that's his will. When he said, go to all the world and make disciples, is that the will of God? Do you want to do the will of God? You say, well, I don't know, I don't know everything about the will of God. Do you now? You can start, the Bible so many times finishes the sentence with, and this is the will of God. You won't know the will of God apart from the Bible. You can't just say, rock, paper, scissors, I'm going to go do this today because I feel like that's the will of God. You don't get to make it up. God's already written it in 66 books. This is his will, and you will do his will or you'll be disobedient to him. There is no other way to do it. You have to follow his commands. His commands are giving in love. That's his nature. God is a God of love. So look at this. Jesus said his food was to do the will of God, the Father, and completely finish his passionate work. Do you know what your work is? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that's faith in Jesus Christ. Not a work so you can't get to heaven and brag about it. And then 10 tells us that God has preordained, he's already registered work for you to do. It's already registered to heaven. If you went up to heaven and said, oh, Clint Smith, where's Clint Smith's file? God pulls out the file. This is his work for his whole life. That's what he must do. Has Clint Smith done everything he's supposed to do? No, y'all know I'm a sinful person, right? I've, I've, I've sinned against God. I've disobeyed God before. And, I, and I, there's still work to be done. As long as I'm preaching or teaching or living, there's still work to be done. I'm a grandpa now. There's work to do. There's another generation coming up waiting to see what does grandpa say about that. And I don't always say the right things. Chris caught me yesterday saying something to my grandson. Is that bully still bothering you at school? No, sir. I said, did you punch him in the nose like I told you? Chris looked at me like, did you say that to your grandson? And Judson's like, no, grandpa, I didn't do that. I said, good. 
But I said, if he bothers you again, punch him in the nose, and that'll fix it. That's how you stop bullies. He prayed for him. His daddy taught him to pray for him. So he's got a better daddy than his grandpa. I'm still learning, and I still, I know quick ways, like that's the, that's the how-to for dummies, right? That'll fix a bully. He's not, he's not wired like me. He's wired like his daddy. His daddy's kind of mild, just laid back. Let's talk it out. Let's talk to God about it. And, of course, I pray for him that way. And I, I, we prayed it even when they come to our house. But I still got rough edges, you know? All right. That will fix a bully, just for the record. Um, off the record, I should say. Get back to our notes. Jesus wanted his disciples and wants us to realize the spiritual harvest of eternal life in our hearts and for those still without Christ in, our, in their hearts. Jesus had and has compassion for the lost. You can read Matthew 9. That's where he says, hey, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray for more workers. We need to get out there and get busy. Why would Jesus, God, tell us to pray to God the Father for more workers, for more laborers? Because the fruit is ready to be picked. He's not telling us to go anymore. And we know that we have to harvest, we have to plow and sow and water and reap, right? But he's telling us the, the harvest is ready. It's already been planted. All those prophets and John the Baptist and all those other people have already prepared the way. This church is 160-something years old. People have gone before us here in this community and laid the foundation for us to build on, that we build on, and we're to go and reap that harvest. Here's the question. Are you doing it? Am I doing it? Jesus wanted his disciples, look at your notes, to raise their eyes and look at the fields. See the ripe, ready harvest. He wanted them to look at people in a different manner. Quit being a racist. Quit saying that your race is better than their race because you're part of the human race. Quit saying that your religion is better than their religion because both of you are wrong. Were the Jews right? And we know salvation was from the Jews but we're, because Jesus was a Jew. But were the Jewish leaders like Nicodemus right? They were not right. They had a form of godliness, but they'd added tradition to it. They left God in the dust. They started doing it man's way. Kiss the ring, if you will. Bow, watch me pray. I pray like this. Make sure you give an extra uh, tithe because, you know, we could always use that. Buy a new set of clothes. Get somebody to make some new clothes. And then you look at the Samaritans. They said, we worship on this mountain. You Jews say Jerusalem's the place to worship. Were the Samaritans correct? Jesus, if you read last week, if you read last week, Jesus said, you, you Samaritans do err. You don't know what you're talking about. You're wrong about your religion. So if Jesus would tell somebody about their religion is wrong, should you tell someone about their religion if it's wrong? Watch this. This offends people, and people will leave today, and people will get mad. Hinduism, is that right or wrong? It's wrong. It's worshiping multiple gods besides the one true God. If you talk to a Hindu, they say, okay, we'll just take Jesus too. No, you won't. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except. I'm the exception except through me. Or Muslims, is that a right religion? He said, well, I don't want to say. They might be watching me on camera and cut my head off. Stand for something, right? If you're not willing to live for it, you'll, listen, surely die for it, right? Go for it. I'll stand here today and say, listen, Muslims are going to hell unless they receive the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a fake religion. Go down the list. The people who call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses. Go down the list of people that call themselves Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ. The Mormons, they're going to hell unless they receive the Jesus of the Bible as their personal Lord and Savior. Furthermore, you're going to hell if you don't receive your, listen, your salvation only through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
You say, well, that's offensive to me. Good, because it might shake your tree that something might fall that you'll pick it up and give it to Christ. Amen? Your soul matters because he loves you. The Bible says he created hell for the devil and his angels. And we choose to go there because we want to rebel against the only one. Jesus said, if you read in John 3, I didn't come to condemn the world. I come to save the world. But man loves evil more than they love the light. They love darkness more than they love the light. And he is the light of the world. You want to see the fields that are ready to harvest? Look at the news. There's no hope. Look at the news. Look at the public. There's no peace. Look at our schools. Everybody's in turmoil. There's confusion everywhere. And who is the author of confusion? The devil himself. If you're confused today or you're living in confusion, that's coming from Satan, not from God. God's the author of peace. God's the author of perfection. God's the author of love. God's the author of the word. He's the author and finisher of our faith. If your life's in turmoil today, listen, everything that belongs to Satan, get rid of it out of your house. Some of you love your trinkets and your stuff more than you love the Savior that you proclaim on Sunday morning. That phone, some of you are so addicted to that phone, you can't put it down no matter what. You can't put that tablet down no matter what. You can't put that computer down no matter what. You can't put those magazines down no matter what. You can't put that whatever it is, fill in the blank, no matter what, and put Jesus first. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this stuff will be added to you. You're wondering why your life's in misery? Because you put God second, and God will not be second in anybody's life. You don't get to make the rules, he's already said. And Jesus even said about salvation, it is finished when he said it on the cross. I gave you that note. What is the will of God the Father? What was the work of Jesus? Bring in the harvest. Here's the question. Brother, sister, friend, guest, are you bringing in the harvest today? Yes or no? There's not a, well, I think so. I, I said some kind words to somebody the other day, and they smiled back at me like they knew I was a Christian. That's hogwash, y'all. Listen. You must speak the word of God. There is no way to understand it unless you speak the truth. You're a sinner. He's the Savior. He'll save you from your sins if you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Do you want to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ today? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, it's a no. That's not harvest ready, is it? That old heart ain't ready to be picked, is it? Yes, you understand? If I say no to Jesus, when you offer me Jesus and I say no, that harvest fruit is not ready. And we keep trying, but Lord, I want to save this person. Lord, turn the green apple red. I was down at the Griffiths the other day bush hogging. Jody was out there. We were talking about pear trees. Will was out there. We talking about pear trees. And pear tree was just, I had pears at the sparks. And so I was thinking I wanted pears. I look at the pear trees. I bush hog around. I'm looking around. I'm bush hogging. No pears. I don't see pears. I don't even see any on the ground. I'm willing to share with the yellow jackets. And cut it in half and eat the other half. They can have the other half, right? If you've been around pear tree, you know what I'm talking about. But I'm running through the field and I see pears hanging off this huge tree way up in the, in the across the pasture line. And Mr. Jody went out there, Will went out there, and nobody's out there. So I'm like, I think I'm going to get some of those pears. I don't know if it's their property or not. So I don't want to steal the pears, but they're hanging over their pasture. So I raised the bucket on the tractor all the way to the top. And I went, boom, boom. I bumped the tree with the bucket and it dropped me a few pears in the bucket. And I spun around, dropped the bucket, got out, got the pears, put a couple in my pocket, got on the tractor and started again bush hogging. And I bit this pear. If you know what this kind of pear is, you can tell me. But I bit it and it turned my mouth inside out. It was the most bitter. It was like a crab apple. Have you ever eaten a crab apple? My mouth, and I had no water. My mouth just torqued like, mmm. 
And the thought comes, that's what you get for stealing pears. <laughs> the fruit wasn't ready. And I'm trying to make it ready because I wanted the fruit. Sometimes you're going to share the gospel with people. They're not going to listen. They're brickheads. That fruit's green. It ain't ready. Listen, keep praying for them, but move on. Pick the right fruit. Because the harvest is ready to be picked right now, right? It's ready. You say, well, my brother says I've been sharing the gospel. My friend, co-worker, keep praying. Move on. Paul said, listen, we, I sowed Apollos water, right? I'll give you that scripture. First Corinthians chapter 3, I think it is. Go and look that up. Sometimes you got people, the, the, the seed falls on good ground. The seed falls on stony ground. The seed falls on shallow ground. It gets twisted up with the thorns. But there's no reason to stop planting and watering and bringing in the harvest. Do your job. Do your responsibility you've been assigned to do. Your age, your sphere of influence, only you can do what you've been assigned to do. I can't do your job. And likely, like so, you can't do mine. So do what you've been called to do. Jesus finished his work on the cross. I'll give you these notes. John 17, he said, I finished the work you've given me to do. John 19, on the cross, when he died, his last words were what? It is finished. We'll see that again at Easter. We'll look through those scriptures. I gave you those references. Disciples today still have the commission to know and do the will of God. We must continue to plant, water, and harvest. That's our responsibility. That's our call after salvation. If you're not saved, please don't go out and represent the church. You don't belong to it. You say, well, can a lost person lead a, someone to Christ? I've seen it happen before. Get a gospel track and they can repeat after me and the Spirit saves somebody. You might, be, you might have been led to Christ by somebody and then you know, when they fell off the train, they, they're gone. Thought they were saved and they're far from God. It can happen. Finally, people sow and reap. But this is kind of cool. People are the harvest. It's not a physical fruit that you see. Look around. We are the harvest. We've been picked. If you're a Christian today, you've been plucked. Right? Isn't that great to know? The Lord chose me. He, pl he picked me. He let somebody pick me. And finally, the harvest is where the next generational seed is. And the question is, are you? Are you? Focus on me. They're going to get their babies. We've got baby dedication. Don't focus on them. Focus on me. Because I want you to listen. Are you doing what God's called you to do? Are you bringing in the harvest? Are you picking that right fruit? You say, where's the fruit? It's all around you. Take a look. And so many times we get, we get taken off with the fruit that don't even matter. It's not even, it's not even budding yet. Focus on the fruit around you. You say, well, I don't see it. Okay, do this. This is how you find it. Just like I found that pear tree that wasn't ready, <laughs> it wasn't ready. Right color, wrong pears. I don't know what I did, but those were the worst things I've ever put in my mouth just about. That's come from the tree. Lord Jesus, show me the fruit where I'm supposed to harvest. And then remember, the fruit's not stuff. The fruit's people. The fruit, look around. I want you to see some fruit. Look around. We have been, we were ripe and we were picked. But some of you might be in this room this morning, and the Lord's just ripening your heart right now. It's time for you to be plucked, if you will, for the harvest. God wants to bring you into the fold, and he wants to keep you in his kingdom forever. And I want to challenge you today, if God spoke to your heart, you need to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ today. Receive that free gift of salvation, and you will join the harvest. You'll, you'll be part of the great harvest of God. And then, in turn, you will be responsible for going back out into the field 
bringing in the harvest. And those of us that are in the harvest, what do we pray for? What the Lord Jesus Christ told us to. Lord, send more workers because the harvest is so great. Look around the world. The only time I really felt like I doubted God since I've been a Christian, heavily doubted God, is in Canada. And driving through Ontario and then on top of Lake Erie, you see row houses after row houses after row houses of mostly Muslims. And they go, it seems like it's not eternity, I know, but it goes forever. You see houses forever that way, that way, that way, that way. Just everywhere you look on the interstate, houses and houses of people. And I'm like, Lord, how? Surely you let these people be born so they'd go to hell. How are we going to reach these people? You know what the Lord told me? Leave it up to me. But then I'm going to turn around and leave it up to you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you. It's our responsibility to do the work of the kingdom. Jesus said, I've finished the work I was called to do. I did it completely. But when you and I have to get that passion, and it only comes from the Holy Spirit. We must have the passion and the compassion to tell somebody about Jesus. And you'll find out if it's right fruit or unripe fruit. Unripe fruit is a no or I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not sure. Don't, you know how to use car salesmen. Don't try to sell them Jesus. If it's a no or I'm not sure, I'll pray for you and walk away. Walk away. You say, Pastor, it's too hard. Your job is too busy. You got much too work to do, too much work to do. Stay on the harvest. And then come back. Don't forget about those people, but write them down and pray. Pray that God would send another farmer that way and harvest them. Because it might not be you that leads your brother or sister to Christ. It might be your funeral that brings them to Christ. You never know. If you can pray like this, if you can honestly pray with all your heart for somebody and say, Lord, Jesus, whatever it takes, save, fill in the blank, whoever the blank is, even my funeral or my death, save them. If you can pray that prayer, then you're really serious about the harvest. Amen? Bring in the harvest. It's your responsibility. Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Are you? Let's pray. Father God, we know that the harvest is... It's plentiful. We, we see the news, we, see the, we listen to the radio, we watch on the computer, Lord, there's things on social media. Even in this room, Lord, a lot of people are messing around playing games. They, they'd rather put stupid, vile stuff on social media than use their influence on social media for the glory of God. God forbid. God forbid. Father, us today as the church of God, may we bring honor to the name of God. May we honor Jesus Christ in everything we say and do. May we be serious about this responsibility, this heavy, huge responsibility we have in our families, co-workers, in retirement, wherever you called us to. Lord God, shake us to our core that we would realize that you're serious about this. And let us be like this woman who ran from the well to go tell everyone, come and see. Come meet Jesus. And Lord, let us be people of God who bring our people, our friends, our family to a loving God. We pray this in Jesus' name and for our sake. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand today. Listen, if you want to come give your heart life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to